Hello and welcome to Castable. This is the podcast which brings on brilliant guests to pitch their dream music festival. My name's Matt Hoss and I'm the host and I'm here to guide you around their festival. Today's guest is Edinburgh Fringe veteran, stand-up comedian and yoga instructor. It's Abigail Shaman. Hello! Hello! Good to see you, Matt. Or hear you, as it were. Good to <laughs> yeah. hear you. Good to hear you too. And how are you doing today? I'm good. I, uh, I've i been very productive today. I woke up. I went for a run. <laughs> wow. Uh, Tom and I, my boyfriend and I, are doing the Latitude Festival this weekend. Yes. And um, since, uh, like, we haven't traveled much, I'm packing now because mm-hmm. I, I'm, i like, not used to it, let alone uh, camping packing. So it's like we just blew up the air mattress to make sure that it doesn't have any <laughs> holes in it. Yeah. Oh, you must be so excited to go to Latitude. I am. I'm. Uh, you know, it's always one of my favorite festivals to do. I'm back hosting the comedy arena, and it's just a fun time. It'll be really interesting to see what it's like this year. Absolutely. Given you know, like all of the rules and stuff, it'll it. Yeah, I'm curious to see what it's like, but I think it'll be pretty fun still. You are absolutely perfect for this podcast because you're you are a festival veteran. You are, uh, and yeah, you you've got that a lot of that experience. So I think you're going to be an absolute treat to talk to today as well. And uh, yeah, and uh, it's it's very difficult doing uh, comedy at a festival sometimes because it like there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of moving parts with it as well, and there's a lot of people kind of uh, in, in different places as well. How do you cope being the, the compare on and doing a long shift like that? So uh, I so my shift will last from 11 a.m. I just read it today. I was like, I got the longest compare shift. I got to stop <laughs> saying I'll perform any day. Um, uh, I will be uh, performing from 11 o'clock to I think the last one is at 530. Oh, yeah. And the thing you like, I love doing it. I, I'm going to say that before I tell you what it's like, I'm going to tell you I love doing it. And I love Latitude, and thank you, Festival Republic, for giving me this opportunity. But hosting a comedy festival, or excuse me, a comedy tent like Latitude, if you are hosting it, you have to understand that no one cares that you're there, (laughs) and um, it is not about you, and you will never get the laugh you want. Therefore, don't even try. Because (laughs) what happens, and it's like, your job is to kind of shoof everyone forward. Mm-hmm. So the comedy at Latitude happens in the day. So some people just wander in the tent, have no clue what's going on. Some people are diehard fans mm-hmm. of the comedians. So, for instance, the two performers who are happening on Latitude are Simon Amstel and mm-hmm. Catherine Ryan. For the sake of this exercise, let's say they're performing back to back. Simon has a different audience than Catherine. Mm -hmm. So what happens is Simon will go on stage. And my job was to get everyone in the room and make sure they're all sitting down to get ready for Simon. And they don't care that I'm there. They're all like waving to their friends to bring their friends over to sit with them in the tent. (laughs) You know, they're, they're talking while I'm on stage. There's about five people in the front who are listening to me. No one else cares. And then Simon finishes, and then I walk on stage to a a tent of thousands of people who then stand up, turn their backs on me, and walk 
out of the tent. And that is the first three to four minutes of me on stage between acts is looking at the back of everyone while all of Simon's group, all of his fan base leave the tent. And then Catherine Ryan's fan base will enter the tent. So then I am back to talking while people are waving at their friends, calling them on the cell phone to be like, where by the second, like tent pole or whatever. So like your job as a compare at a festival like Latitude is not to, it's actually not to be funny at all. It's to be chipper and happy and welcoming and just kind of keep the ball up in the air between acts. Mm -hmm. And And anytime I've done a joke that I really love and care about, on stage it dies but (laughs) if we have a fancy headdress competition among those in the audience oh my gosh we're winning so (laughs) one day i'm gonna buy a t-shirt cannon for this (laughs) yes oh my god right listener we're gonna crowdfund that t-shirt cannon for abigail it's gonna be epic for latitude so uh yeah yeah. send the donations in quickly and we'll uh, (laughs) we'll we'll get abigail that it'll be uh yeah the fiercest compare around like uh, any knobheads bam gone (laughs) yeah um but yeah um that was a lovely insight there as well and uh have you outside of work have you been to many festivals do you enjoy going to music festivals so I've only been to music festivals I've been invited to perform at as mm-hmm. a comedian, with the exception of X-Fest in Dayton, Ohio, mm-hmm. when I was in high school. And X-Fest was um, kind of like, do you know what Warp Tour is? Yes. Uh, it's like a punk tour, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's Warp Tour vibes, but it's all in one day. Mm-hmm. And it travels around a little bit more. So it was one day, the year I went, Puddle of Mud was the headliner. (laughs) And how did you feel about Puddle of Mud? I liked them at the time. I mean, I liked the one song. She fucking hates me. And everyone was just waiting for that song to happen. Yeah. And, um... But, you know, it was one of those tents where there was, like, crowd surfing and mosh pitting and stuff. And it was the summer before I went to university. And I went to university for musical theater. And my mom, before I went to the festival, was like, no mosh pitting, no crowd surfing. Because if you break something, you will not be able to go to school. Because part of my schooling is to, like, take dance classes. And Mm -hmm. they will, like, not let you in your first semester if you have, like, a broken leg. Which is ableist looking back at it. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. And, of course, I ignored all my mother's uh, suggestions. And she's like, she's like, I came back, like, with just my shirt all stretched out. And just, like, (laughs) covered in dirt. Because I was, like, mosh pinning and crowd surfing. Mm -hmm. I did not hurt myself. My friend Sarah, who I went with... In the very first mosh pit she got into, she fractured her elbow. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and mosh pit injuries don't really happen as often as people who don't go in and feel. I, it does happen, like, and I feel I've definitely been to gigs where people have made. Like, I, I was at a Metallica concert where someone dislocated their, their shoulder and stuff like that. But um, you know, I kind of feel like mosh pits are there to uh, have fun, and people often look out for each other. People, you know what I mean? There's, yeah, there's... I mean, I've I've had it where I've fallen in a mosh pit, and as soon as you fall, someone just grabs you and picks you up to keep you safe. I once crowd surf nearly got dropped in a mosh pit which was quite exciting because literally everyone saw what was happening and they caught me like I was upside down like head upside down going into the mosh pit and like the 
whoever was holding me lifted me back up and worked me around the mosh pit so mm-hmm. it didn't happen. People do look out for you, but you know, yes, for I sure. mean, if the game is bang into each other, like <laughs> stuff's gonna happen. <laughs> Like, <laughs> yeah, that a genuinely elegant interpretation of mosh pits, just banging into each other. It's it's very very like sounds sophisticated like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, I remember going to see a Slayer concert because when I was a younger teenager, I used to go to a lot of uh, metal festivals like Sonosphere, and I, the most scared I've ever been to see a mosh pit because my mum again, like my mum warned me not to get into any mosh pits and stuff like that because I was going by myself, which is quite mm-hmm. a ballsy move for for a teenager like going across the, the country. And uh, yeah, as soon as the the pits opened up for Slayer, it was so kind of like like um, like it was uh, every man for himself. You know what I mean? So it was just like oh my goodness i was so like scared and kind of uh, uh and i was like oh my god my mum was right stay away from the slayer mosh pits and uh, yeah i think i, I was a more cowardly approach than you perhaps well maybe but then again you also didn't have uh friends with you who if you broke something you could mm-hmm. be like how crazy is this that i broke my elbow she didn't get it checked out until like the monday morning after as oh you god. do when you're a kid uh but and then she was like turns out i fractured it um oh bless but actually the first music festival i had ever been to here in the uk that i got booked on their their comedy tent or whatever they called it that that year was um tea in the park yes yeah yeah yeah. and that's known as being a rough and rowdy festival and i was and and everyone was like oh first of all it did not rain the entire time i was there which i also heard that it gets really really muddy people Mm -hmm. were like if it gets as muddy as it did last year you'll hate it and have a miserable time but I didn't get muddy. But before I went, all the all the Scotch people who were like got me on this festival were like, "Oh, it can be rough. Oh, there's gonna be some characters there. Oh, it's gonna be rough." And I was walking around with another comic, and I was like, "Everyone says that this festival is really rough and fights break out all the time. I wonder if I'm gonna see one." And he's like, I, "Yeah, I don't know." And this is like broad daylight, beautiful sunshine, just like walking through a field, having a lovely time. I literally said it and we heard a scream and then saw like one woman drag another woman across the field by her hair and hit her. And then of course a circle formed to watch, but no one actually did anything to stop them. Uh, and it's like i really like simon amsel you like Catherine ryan take that <laughs> exactly exactly uh, it's like prophetic fallacy right there and uh and before we move into uh looking at your festival like the way i typically start is asking uh, uh if someone were to ask you what kind of music are you into how do you typically respond Okay, here's where, like, your podcast actually gave me a little anxiety because according (laughs) to everyone I've ever met, I have horrible taste in music. Uh, I... I think Jimmy Buffett's Cheeseburgers in Paradise is one of the most prophetic songs I've ever heard. Um, I've never heard a song. This is not in, don't turn off the uh, podcast yet, guys. Don't worry. It's not in my festival. But, and I, I, I am one of those people who doesn't listen to a lot of full albums, but mm-hmm. I will listen to one song on loop for mm-hmm. about a week. Yes. And there, after talking about going to these violent festivals, the one thing that I do listen to the full albums are, are, oh, you guessed it, it was my major, musicals. So yeah. I have, 
I didn't make a musical festival. I have created a musical festival. Whoa! So, so the idea of this festival is that you don't watch the whole musical, but that they do an abridged reading. And if you've never seen that before, what they'll do is they sing all the songs. And if there's something integral to the plot, they'll just tell you. They'll just be like, and this is the part where, you know, Hamilton uh, uh, finds out that all these guys know that he was cheating on his wife. Okay, (laughs) now we go into the Hamilton papers, you know, something like that. Wow. Okay, that's a strong idea from the get-go. Uh, and before we go, uh, kind of look more closely to that, I just, I really just want to find out a little bit more about uh, <laughs> your quote, "bad taste." Who, who says you got bad taste? Um, my boyfriend. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> my boyfriend says I have bad taste. I remember one time going to like doing a comedy festival i was doing the adelaide or excuse me the melbourne comedy festival Mm -hmm. and this is back when you had ipods uh children there was a time (laughs) when your music wasn't on your phone uh but it was on another digital device and uh you know you'd give your ipod to your uh sound guy to play your house music Mm -hmm. and we were just sitting there before the show talking and he had my ipod and he was just like knowing everything i know about you i thought you'd have really cool taste in music but looking at this oh my god (laughs) that's devastating oh my god yeah it just creeps up every now and then and like another example because i do really love musicals like i am one of those kids who was like locked in their room acting out (laughs) cats don't worry not in the festival we did not put cats in the festival uh and when i was in college i dated a guy who was really into metal and rock and my mother showed up to New York City to visit me with a Rolling Stones magazine, uh, the best albums of all time, 100 best albums of all time. And she gave it to me and was like, here, I thought you could read this and you'd, you'd know some more about music and, and then you and your boyfriend would have something to talk about. So even my mother is like, <laughs> this girl is an idiot oh, oh bless you uh, you know what i i think that um you know you may you may be putting on a musical festival but that's great that is a that's a good sense of music you know i i'm gonna i'm gonna try and convince you or at least help support that view by the end of the podcast episode i want you to kind of feel uh full of like yes i do have good taste in music and i want you to wear it as a badge for the rest of your life that's oh. that's, what, that's what we're doing today Thank you. Well, I am excited to go through this journey with you. <laughs> well, I think it's time to uh, start that journey and start off with the admin of your festival. Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Castful. What a delight it is to have you back here. If you'd like to help support the podcast, because this is an ad-free podcast, there's many ways you can do that. You can follow me at Matt House Comedy on the social medias like Instagram and Twitter and watch me do live performances on Twitch. I'm still doing Twitch throughout the summers and from 2021 onwards. So please do follow me there. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel at Matthouse Comedy. If you'd like to, you can also read my book available from my website, www.matthousecomedy.com. It's called Purify. On top of that, make sure to join the Patreon where there's extra bonus content every single week. If you like my streams, there's some stuff there. And if you want to help the podcast specifically, make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast provider that you use and do share with friends. 
Other than that, enjoy this very special episode of Castable. I wanna see that band you hate I already told you we were too late Now let's go back to the tent Can't really cause it's burning in a field What do you think the name of your festival is going to be? Uh, the musical festival extravaganza. Now that is so appropriate as well. We know what it is, and extravaganza. It hasn't been used on this podcast before, but it is so suitable for its debut right now. It's going to be good. <laughs> Whereabouts geographically would you like your festival to be? Oh my god, I didn't even think about that. Other than a field, <laughs> uh, I think if we were gonna have it in the uk i think uh musicals attract a certain type of people and i think those people might live in devon so... <laughs> uh, and why do you think they live in devon is it is that a speculative guess or is it a good kind of you, you know about it it's a speculative guest i know laura lex is from devon and she likes musicals <laughs> um I know white rich people can afford musicals, and white rich people, I think, live in Devon. Is it? It's a very posh area, as far as I know. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think so. And you know what? Like I, you know what? Like I, I see the logic there, and it, that seems right. You know, that, that, that there seems to be you haven't stepped one place wrong. That, that's set in Devon. Lovely stuff. <laughs> With that in mind, Abigail, without revealing the lineup, how much are you looking to charge per ticket? Oh, oh, wow. Well, I mean, these are these are the big ones. These are the greats uh, that we have coming back. Some mm-hmm. out of retirement, some out of uh, death, to do this festival. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it would be it would be an astronomical uh, thing. It'd be it'd be five hundred pounds a ticket. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much a festival costs because I haven't actually paid for one, but. <laughs> yeah. um, it, but but I think what we would do is we would offer glamping. We would mm-hmm. be one of those festivals that offers glamping for people who want it. And uh, talking about that, so there is camping at the festival, but are you are you a fan of camping? Yeah, I like it. Um, so I grew up not like camping, like festival camping. I grew up backpacking where you you throw everything on your back and walk into the woods for five days and then walk <laughs> out. So to me... Festival camping is fancy. You get to take a pillow <laughs> and like like the first time I went like m- my friend I went with Sarah Bonetto as mm-hmm. I'm sure you know Sarah and she's like, Legend. "Oh, and before you go to Latitude, you always stop off at this Sainsbury's to pick up snacks and stuff." And it had never occurred to me that you could like bring your own cooler full of drinks <laughs> and that you could like get snacks for mm-hmm. evening and like, yeah, and, and have your own little stash at your thing. The one, you know, issue with festival camping that I think everyone says it would say about festival camping is you have to put your tents so close together that yeah. if you're next to the party tent, you're fucked. 
Yeah, absolutely. I get quite claustrophobic. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm quite usually better these days, but yeah, uh, I I do. When I was a teenager, I used to really like hate being so close to other people. Uh, but it's kind of inevitable. In fact, one my first ever festival, I went with my brother, and to avoid other people, we went into like this ravine <laughs> in the middle of Leeds Festival, and uh, we were sleeping on like a, a 45 degree angle, and we just ended up in the uh, the corner of, <laughs> of it as well. But um. Yeah, yeah it's a, that's always the worst when you get put on a hill or, you know, and yeah. you wind up just sliding down or getting a head rush because you sleep in the wrong direction because <laughs> you were drunk. Uh, at your festival, uh, what kind of role are you thinking about taking? Are you quite someone who likes to be kind of a an admin, kind of like a kind of you control the festival? Are you going to be out partying? Are you going to be uh, having a nice time? Are you going to be meet and greeting with the uh, stars? What is your role? First of all, I definitely want to meet and greet with these stars because I, I've I've picked um, casts and musicals uh, that my heroes have emerged from. Mm-hmm. So I definitely want to meet them. Um, I do like the idea of uh, doing the producing part because I like power. <laughs> However, <laughs> I am uh, I am horribly disorganized and uh, I. I can't help but party. So um, I would do as much work as I could up until the festival. And then once the festival starts, I want to be in the green room with all of these amazing uh, musicians and uh, uh, singers. And I want to be drinking champagne and doing (laughs) cocaine and just rocking out to Rodgers and Hammerstein. I, I'm not quite sure what it is, Abigail, but you, you really do paint a wonderful picture as well. You say things with such grace. I, I love it a lot. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm literally making this up as I go along. Because it's not going to happen. I can say whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. And before we move on to the, the music side of your festival, what what kind of food and drink would you specifically like at your festival? So I knew you were going to ask this when you started asking non-musical questions, and I thought about it in the last 15 minutes, and I have a great <laughs> idea. So because this is the Musical Extravaganza Festival, uh, we are going to serve New York food. Nice. So And famous New York food. So there is going to be Murray's Bagels. I, I don't know if you have a big New York listenership, but Murray's Bagels is a very famous bagel shop mm-hmm. in New York. Uh, they will be there. They have every kind of bagel, every kind of schmear. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're so good. Uh, we are going to have uh, the restaurant Sardi's, which is a famous uh, Broadway restaurant that mm-hmm. um, I still it is it isn't considered incredibly tour- touristy, but it is one of those things that I genuinely recommend people do. They they will serve, the, the Sardis, the whole restaurant is, they've got a bar upstairs that you can like casual dine, mm-hmm. and they have a restaurant downstairs where you can get like f- fancy stuff, like a mm-hmm. filet mignon and stuff. Ooh. But obviously it's going to be a food cart, so they will serve... Uh, <laughs> Manhattans, which is a bourbon drink. Mm -hmm. They will serve dirty martinis, which is a a martini with a lot of olive brine in it, which is (laughs) one of my favorite drinks. They will serve, they will serve the filet mignon because you got to, and crab cakes, and uh, they do a good burger there. So we'll do that. Mm -hmm. And also we will have uh, the hot dog trucks. 
uh, that nice. are famous in New York that serve uh, watery, awful hot dogs <laughs> and cold knishes for some reason. They all sell knishes. So that will be it. So Murray's Bagels, Sardi's, and the hot dog trucks. That is such a great selection there. Like, I feel that it feels very authentic. It feels very New York. It feels like... like that special moment before you go and see a show where you're just eating uh, food with friends. Sometimes yeah. it's convenient. Sometimes you uh, go uh, specifically to a place. But that feeling, you know. It's oh, really and nice. we'll have to also do uh, pizza by the slice. We'll yes. do pizza by the slice from Ray's Pizza, which is not the mo- It's the one that's all over the place that you think is the original, but you never know which is the original Ray's. <laughs> well, that sounds fantastic. And I actually sound quite hungry after that. <laughs> uh, but let's go and uh, sate our appetite by going going to see who is playing on your main stage. Castable, are you ready? Here we go! Get on your feet! If you know this one, sing along. Okay, so I've broken up our stages into off-Broadway, Broadway, and movie musicals. Whoa, whoa, that's so cool. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I would call the main stage music, movie musicals because that's what your audience is going to know <laughs> more about if they know about any of these. Mm-hmm. On my movie musical stage, we actually, I have four. Mm-hmm. Um, I have Cinderella from 1997, uh, premiered on ABC, written by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Wow. Yeah, so tell me more about Cinderella. That's awesome. Okay, so Cinderella was written by Rodgers and Hammerstein, uh, and they also wrote, um, they're like, if you've heard of like an old standard, it's by two, it's by, uh, it's either by Rodgers and Hammerstein or Cole Porter. They also famously wrote uh, The Sound of Music, if yes, you've yes. heard of that. <laughs> and this, this 19, uh, nine, and, and this movie was originally a movie that was released in, I believe, 1957. It's the only musical that Rodgers and Hammerstein ever wrote specifically for TV. So this was never supposed to be a staged musical. Mm-hmm. And in 1997, ABC did a production of it, and it was absolutely amazing. Brandy mm-hmm. played Cinderella, because remember, it's 1997. <laughs> yeah. uh, Whitney Houston played the fairy godmother. <gasps> oh, my God. That's a perfect casting, right? Whoopi Goldberg played <gasps> the queen. Jason Alexander played Lionel. Um <laughs> And Jason Alexander is George Costanza from Seinfeld. Yes, and yeah, yeah. what people don't know about Jason Alexander is before he got the iconic role of George Costanza, he had an amazing theater career under his belt. Mm-hmm. He, he did a lot of Broadway. I think he's won a Tony, which is the big Broadway thing. Yes. He's so he's in it, and, and Bernadette Peters played the, the wicked stepmother. I don't know if you'll know who she is. I don't from the top of my head. Okay, so she is, uh, she's a big Broadway baby. 
That is the cast of it. The cast mm-hmm. will come back. Rodgers and Hammerstein will be there as well. Nice. And the reason why I picked this one is because it is in it is a couple of these are like old musicals. Mm-hmm. This one specifically that's been re-envisioned in modern times or as the 90s saw it as modern times. <laughs> yeah. And the music in it bops. It's not like I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't have a beat to it like if like Hamilton, but there's <laughs> there's just lovely little songs in it. There's a song called The Stepsisters Lament, mm-hmm. where the two stepsisters are watching uh, Brandy or Cinderella dance with the prince, and they're so mad about it. They start singing this song that's like, why would a fellow want a girl like her, a girl who's merely lovely? And in the middle of the song, they, like, threaten to break her arm. Whoa. And, like... <laughs> by putting her in the mosh pit, is that why? Yeah, by putting her in the mosh pit. And uh, it's also a great song uh, sung by the fairy godmother, who is, let us remember... Whitney Houston yeah. uh, in this production is uh, uh, impossible. So it's like impossible for a strange country bumpkin and a prince to join in marriage. Impossible. Things are happening every day. And uh, I, I'm not the singer I once was, so please excuse me. <laughs> no, I fantastic. will do this. A lo- no one is listening to this all the way through. <laughs> this is the most nerdy thing I've ever done. Yeah. No, this but is, uh, it's this, such this is a... Podcast. <laughs> This it's such it. a sweet musical, and it's so hopeful, and and it is a bit twee, but it's also like when you see these people play these roles, it makes it all make sense somehow. Like it's just um, it's just a beautiful little musical, mm-hmm. and uh, I absolutely love it. So I was trying to pick my brains and kind of think of if I knew it, and I don't think I. Uh, I don't obviously I knew the Cinderella story and uh, uh, but I'm not this specific production uh, but like uh, what do you think the number one song people would uh, kind of connect to is what um so the song that I connected to the most and by the way this is I'm pretty sure available to stream on Disney plus uh, mm-hmm. some of these you can watch if anyone is a musical theater buff who's listening to this and wants to watch these some of these you can find. But mm-hmm. there's a song that Cinderella sings called In My Own Little Corner, mm-hmm. which now my favorite song is Stepsister's Lament, because yeah. like I said, it's a bop. Yeah. But In My Own Little Corner is this like really sweet song where she's singing how like her wicked stepmother is like, go to your corner. And, you know, she sits by the cinders among the ashes or whatever. And she sings this song of, in my own little corner, in my own little room, I can be whatever I want to be. And then she play acts like being like a prince. And then she's like, uh, you know, she's a, uh, she's a huntress. She does all these things and, and like plays this, plays out this like grand idea but she only feels safe in her own little corner doing these things. And again, as a girl who sat in her bedroom by herself acting out musicals, like it's, this is exactly what I did as a child. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Just in my own little corner, pretending to be Brandy, which is a cancelable offense uh, by these <laughs> days. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, at that time, in my own little corner, I can be whoever I want to be. I, I, I can I can see that, and that, that sounds really 
touching and that's going to connect to the audience too and I think that's going to be sweet. I don't usually ask this but in terms of like the staging of this is it like a kind of a, a usual festival setup like the big speakers on the main stage and then just perform on the main stage or is it done like in a theatre as well like but in like the middle of, like what's the kind of vibe? So it's going to be like out, outside orchestration so they do this um, there's a playhouse in New York called the Roundhouse that mm-hmm. famously revives plays but doesn't stage them completely so what you there will be like an orchestra pit with a whole orchestra of which the composers will be directing mm-hmm. um so rogers and hammerstein together it'll be so cute on the stage will be the actors and they will uh they'll be like basically standing in a line and walk out and sing like the main song. And mm-hmm. then someone, like I said, instead of watching the whole musical, someone will be like, after the prince had gone yeah, through the kingdom, he settled on a little house. And in that little house was a young and fair woman. And then we cut to like Brandy singing her song. <laughs> yeah. So uh, um, they will be in suggestions of the costume, but they won't be in full costume. Cool. They will be, uh, the actors will be on stage the mm-hmm. whole time. And if they are not singing, they will be sitting in chairs in the back. It's it, It's like a play reading. Yeah. um uh and maybe we'll have pyrotechnics because it's a musical it's it's a theater it's a music festival yeah so for some reason there will be like sparks flying from the stage in every single one of these yeah my sister is a little runt (laughs) exactly yeah yeah, that'd be good (laughs) that'd be good uh oh i would love that so much like uh like you can make cinderella very heavy metal very quickly (laughs) (laughs) you just get like uh the fairy godmother to put on like kiss makeup it'd be wicked uh um right i think that's fantastic uh is Cinderella the kind of the first act on in that main stage? So, yeah. So what I've done is I've done it by, like, who would headline. Mm-hmm. Although I do have four for this one because I couldn't narrow it down. But <laughs> I can narrow it down for you if you want. But this would be the Friday night headliner. It would be Cinderella. Got you, yeah. And I think even though some people might not be familiar with this one and might be like, I don't like musicals from 19... 19- 57 mm-hmm. people would see this cast and go i have to see what this is i have to see what this is about absolutely we did think about marketing <laughs> <laughs> well it's for 500 pound a ticket you bloody well hope so yeah <laughs> but the, the devonshire people are very delighted for sure yeah. so uh, so yeah after cinderella uh, who else would you have on your main stage i would have uh so on the friday night Mm-hmm. It is a tie between another two uh, standard mu- movie musicals uh, from years gone by. So this is a double header of The Music Man mm-hmm. uh, from 1962 and Hello Dolly, the movie, the film Hello Dolly, from 1969 starring Walter Matthau and... Uh, Barbara Streisand with a cameo from uh, Louis Armstrong in it. <laughs> wow! And and is Louis Armstrong gonna re- reappear as well as well? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so the reason I'm I'm just gonna bust through the Music Man mm-hmm. real quick. The reason why I picked the Music Man is because it ha- first of all it's written by Meredith Wilson, uh, who if you can't tell is a woman and. Uh, 
like wrote one of the best musicals of all time you don't see a lot of female composers especially Mm -hmm. in the 50s and 60s so how she pulled this off is beyond me um this movie again the music bops um there is do you watch family guy yes i do yeah yeah yeah. have you ever seen an episode where for some reason the dad and family guy breaks out into a song called ship poopy yeah ship poopy yeah ship poopy ship poopy that is from the music man oh my god like uh, like i uh, i think about that song about once I would say about, about once to every two weeks, maybe, and uh, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> so and you've just ha- you've given me a light bulb moment here. Thank you so, so much. Not only is it from the Music Man, but the animation that they did for that is almost exactly shot for shot what they did in the Music Man. Oh, we see, uh, yeah, yeah. Which is so fun to go back and watch Family Guy, and he does that a lot, where he'll yeah. reference something so niche like like how many people were watching that scene and were like oh that's Shapoopy from the 1962 film the music man with the exact choreography like me and four other people knew that but they <laughs> and, did that they and, did that for and me and those four other people are loving this podcast so far <laughs> yeah exactly so that song is from it um fun a uh, young ron howard plays a child in it Oh, wow. Uh, so Ron Howard is in this musical back in 1962. <laughs> no. Buddy Hackett is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know who Buddy Hackett is? I don't, unfortunately. He's a famous American comedian who was one of those people who's quite rude, but somehow found him his way into like the Disney wheelhouse. Yeah. He was in Herbie the Love Bug. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, it uh, the most famous song from it, there's two, are Trouble, mm-hmm. which is... Uh, trouble right here in River City with a capital T that rhymes with P and that stands for pool. That stands for pool. Oh, yes, we have trouble right here in River City. And then the 76 trombones, which is 76 trombones led the big parade with 110 cornets right behind. Um, so I've, I've got a couple of questions here. Yeah. Firstly, are all these songs kind of lodged in your head ready to go at any point? Are you like, are you like, uh, is it so embedded in you that you know it off from the top of your head? Yeah, I'm just singing these. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, I probably can't do all of them from start to finish. Yeah. Some of them I can do. But um, also this musical is about so cool. a man mm-hmm. named, uh, played by Robert Preston called Professor Harold Hill that is a shyster that shows up in town and tries to sell musical instruments mm-hmm. and then leaves town before he teaches anyone how to play them oh, so he, yeah so he's he's a bad guy but of course he, he he finds his heart but the way he whips up interest in in starting a boys band that's why we need to start the river city boys band is the song trouble and he basically puts makes the community fear the youth and what the youth is doing so the reason why there's trouble in river city is because they just opened a pool hall and if they've opened a pool hall young boys might be going to that pool hall and playing pool and smoking rollies and and uh fastening their knickers above the knee and getting rude jokes and that's why we need something wholesome in this town like a boys band so the way he does it was he stills instills in the community fear of the young yeah which i think is a uh is a theme that still holds out today like yeah 
whenever something goes wrong, it's the fault of the youngest generation. So for sure, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I this sounds really amazing, and I think you're doing such a good job as a sales pitch because, like, uh, you know, I haven't seen a musical for a really long time, but yeah, this is looking fantastic. You know, I, I want to join the Riverside uh, Boys Choir. You know, I, the yeah. boy band, I'm going to be there. You know, <laughs> but You'd also be great. I, I have a question, which has been yes. on my mind for the last couple of minutes. Um, you mentioned a young Ron Howard is in this production, which is amazing. You know, director and uh, narrator from uh, Arrested Development. Like, a, a very esteemed career. Are we having Ron Howard as an adult appear back on stage, or is he as a child on stage? Oh, my God. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but, so, he plays, like, I think he's, like, seven or eight in this. Yeah. And he plays a young boy who's too shy to speak because he has a lisp. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of the musical, he um, is endowed with confidence because he's learning how to be in a band. Mm -hmm. And that he sings a whole song. He goes from not speaking to singing the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming <laughs> in the town. And he does it in this little cute voice with a lisp. And where it would be adorable to see young Ron Howard do it again, it would be hysterical <laughs> to see old Ron Howard do it. So I think we're going to keep Robert Preston and Buddy Hackett and Shirley Jones all the same age they were in this movie and then make Ron Howard yes. much older than them even. <laughs> It'd be so funny. It's like, look at that cute boy. It's like, I'm a grown man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. So uh, we have Music Man we have Hello Dolly. Hello Dolly is a special one to me because it's the one I watched on loop and that's the uh, who I want to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be Dolly Levi. Mm -hmm. And something very special that this musical does that no musical really does or did, especially in the golden era, musicals were really known to dip after the intermission. You know, the songs mm -hmm. get a little serious, a little boring. When they wrote this one, in, th in this musical, uh, they're all waiting for Dolly to arrive at the Harmonian Gardens uh, restaurant. And uh, all of the waiters flip out, and there's a huge dance scene <laughs> that they do this dancing. Yeah. And, and then at the end of it, it's like someone comes up to the maitre d' and is like, Rudy, Rudy, she's here. And in the Broadway production, that's when curtain goes down and mm -hmm. it's the intermission. So she hasn't entered yet. Yeah. She hasn't entered the scene yet. And the second act opens with the iconic Hello Dolly song where mm -hmm. she descends the staircase. And this is where Louis Armstrong has a, uh, has a cameo. And they sing Hello, Dolly, and it is one of the happiest things I've ever seen in my life. You're really bringing a lot of these scenes to life as well. And, uh, yeah, and I can kind of picture it very... I can hear your warmth to it as well. And it's uh, something really desirable to hear. And, uh, yeah, I can imagine you um, in the crowd kind of just uh, going crazy for it as well. Would you... Yeah. In, that, in your power position, would you ever want to be on stage singing it? Um, I mean, that was the dream when I was a kid, um, but I would really love to watch these stars do mm -hmm. what they do. This, by the way, this would, 
I said everyone would be sitting in chairs mm-hmm. uh, and it'd just be like the singing. I lied because some of these are big dance numbers. Like yeah. this one has a lot of big dance numbers in it. They would do the original choreography gotcha. from the movies. Yeah. But uh, I think I'd just have to watch. I mean, you'd have to watch. I mean, Barbara Streisand and Walter, Walter Matthau mm-hmm. uh, together on to, And Walter Matthau can't sing. Fun fact, <laughs> um, they... Barbara Streisand was way too young to play this role. She was like in her 20s and Dolly mm-hmm. Levi's supposed to be like an older matchmaker and she falls in love with Walter Matthau who's like in his 40s at the time. They famously hated each other on this oh, set. Really? Yeah, Walter Matthau thought she was um I think she had just come from directing something. I can't remember what her directorial debut was, but she wanted a lot of control. Like she kept asking for stuff and and uh, and was very concerned with like what the directors and the cinematographers were doing. And Walter Matthau is like an old school actor who like shows up, does his job, hit his mark, and he just thought she was a bitch. And uh, so it'd be really fun too to see them backstage. Yeah. And to see if they're still all Haiti on each other. <laughs> yeah, like kind of a big brother, kind of like uh, in the in the uh, green room, but like, oh my god, I absolutely hate that. Like, like uh, the passive aggressive little vibes as well. Like, uh. yeah, exactly. <laughs> After Hello Dolly, uh, what do you have? Chicago the Musical. Whoa. Uh, yeah. So this one, you you'll I'm sure you've yes. heard of if you've not seen. So we are instead of doing the. A Broadway production, which is uh, amazing. Don't get me wrong. We have gone with the 2002 movie, starring Renee Zellweger and uh, Richard Gere, mm-hmm. and uh, what's her name? Help me out here. I I, I've, I don't worry. I've got the Wikipedia's. Catherine Zeta Jones playing Velma Kelly, and the reason why I picked this one is because. This, to me, was a musical that when it came to the film, I was very dubious about how they would do it because mm-hmm. in the original Broadway production, is very, very vaudevillian, and it, that wouldn't really translate. And it's also famously choreographed by uh, Bob Fosse. Mm-hmm. And in the movie musical, they didn't do Bob Fosse they made it their own and they nailed it. Like what they did with the cell block tango in mm-hmm. that film is just iconic. And uh, the way they brought on Matra Mama Morton, who's played by Queen Latifah singing Mama's Good to You. Really? Like, uh, yeah, Queen Latifah's in it. Wow. So this this has Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, Christine Baranski, and um, Queen Latifah. Nice. Uh, like I feel that I feel like with with uh, people come to festivals, they don't always like all the bands on. However, I feel if someone came here because their partner really wanted to go to a musical festival, and wasn't totally into musicals. I feel that you could be sold into this. You know what I mean? I think that there's some here for everyone. Do you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. uh, stuff here for the proper like people who know the stuff, and the stuff there for people who uh, uh, enjoy it casually. You know, it's really nice. Yeah. Well, what I've tried to do is make the headliners, at the very least, I hope you've heard of these. Yeah. And some of these, I'm like, they're, they're, it's, it's real niche. Like, yeah. you'd, you'd have to, to know it to know it. Yeah. If you know, you know. I'm so curious. I want to know what your numbers are for this episode, because I really <laughs> think there's going to be a huge dip. I really think you're going to be like, 
four people have listened to this. As soon as you said Cinderella from 1997, there was a huge drop off. Hey, if you're still listening, listener, give yourselves a pat on the back, you know. Like, yeah. Uh, you're done good. <laughs> like you, you, this is the Hunger Games, but for podcasting. Yeah. <laughs> um, brilliant. So uh, so that's your main stage, right? Is yeah. It, those four. That's that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Do you want to talk about the uh, the other acts you have on? Yeah, so on the off-Broadway stage, so this is a smaller stage, so mm-hmm. this is the one, with, this is really going to get our theater nerds going. <laughs> uh, these are musicals that are, in my mind, quite iconic, but uh, were never Broadway. They were off-Broadway, mm-hmm. or uh, not even that. The first one being Children of Eden, mm-hmm. written by Stephen Schwartz. Uh, Stephen Schwartz also wrote Pippin. He wrote uh, Wicked. Mm-hmm. He wrote Pocahontas. Yeah. Uh, and uh, like, if we're going into like cartoon movies, he wrote he wrote the music for Pocahontas, Prince of Egypt, and Hunchback of Notre Dame. Wow. So big, so, big Disney. Yeah. So this is there's two big Disney players. That's another thing when people are like, I don't like musicals, but they like Disney animation musicals i'm like you know they're written by the same fucking people like they (laughs) they literally are um Mm -hmm. but uh children of eden is about kind of the creation of the world so the first act is uh takes place in the garden of eden and it's about adam and eve and the experience of original sin and then the second act is about noah and the mm. flood, and it's about the flood, and there's this huge issue with, like, one of his sons is in love with this woman, but she has the mark of Cain, so she should drown, and does this woman come on to the boat or not? And uh, it originated in 1991 at the Royal Shakespeare Theater and then had a West End run, mm-hmm. which I thought it was purely a, a, a U.S. show, but apparently it started over here to... Uh, not great reviews, and I genuinely wonder if it was uh, it flopped over here because it's so religious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because again, the music is great. They have this song called "Lost in the Wilderness" that Cain uh, sings of Cain and Abel of the sons mm-hmm. of Adam and Eve. You can find it on Spotify. You cannot find the whole album on Spotify, which I think is weird. But you can find Lost in the Wilderness, which is about this kid who's like, I've done everything you've ever told me to do, and I've obeyed all the rules. I'm not going to try to sing this one because it's a belter. <laughs> it's emotional. Yeah. Um, but I've obeyed all the rules. I've done everything you've ever told me to. Like he's talking to God. It's a prayer. Mm-hmm. And what does that get me? It gets me lost in the wilderness because they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And now his life is just despair and mm-hmm. worship of a God who is punishing him. And he wants more than that. It's one of those songs that just soars. Like this guy writes for the voice. He Stephen Schwartz writes for the voice. He writes for piano. Like they just they just move so beautifully. Um, there's also a beautiful choir song in there called Generation, mm-hmm. which is a bit. I mean, it just lists how um, it's literally a list song that traces the lineage from Noah to Adam and Eve, but it's the. It's a huge choir. It's a huge, uh, like, gospel choir song uh, mm-hmm. that's done almost all a cappella with an egg shaker and some claves. And, uh, and it's just a beautiful piece of music. 
but I really like that musical. It didn't show up uh, in the U.S. until it went to the Paper Mill Playhouse in New Jersey. It's never had a Broadway or off-Broadway run, mm-hmm. uh, but it is a big musical for regional theaters, and it's great. It's abs- I love it. I love it. I really think the reason why it didn't go down in Britain is because it's it's yeah. so religious. I was thinking about that, and I think you're probably right as well, because I just... Yeah, it might, might just be a bit too much as well, especially if it was uh, no new angle with it. But yeah, I think that's... Uh, it sounds really interesting, and it sounds um, it sounds like Kane was such a sympathetic character as well. And uh, yeah. And then the song, uh, another song is Strangers to the Rain. What, anyone who knows musicals, like Strangers to the Rain is like that one of those songs that every young girl tried to sing and you can't because it's too damn high. <laughs> but... It's the song. That's the song about the girl who has the mark of Cain, who's just like, "Am I just meant to die here?" Mm-hmm. And um, and she accepts it. And the whole song is like, um, like I am no stranger to the rain. Is kind of the thing she keeps repeating. Like everyone keeps shitting on me all the time. <laughs> In the middle of the song, she professes to the man she loves, and by the end of it, she's telling God to open up the skies and and let her die and it's just and it bops again it's catchy like people think musicals are so happy no one's listening to the lyrics these are dark 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 shows i i love the lyric uh everyone's just shitting me right now this is terrible (laughs) (laughs) but she's been like she she has the market cane she's been ostracized i mean it's kind of when you think about it's kind of about racism in a way because she's being judged for something that doesn't isn't any control of hers like she's a good person she's done what she's supposed to do in her life but um she's not to be saved in the apocalyptic plague because uh she was born with mark of cain you know absolutely it's just occurred to me i have no clue how this musical ends i actually forget (laughs) (laughs) oh my (laughs) i don't remember how it ends i just realized that how can you go into such level of detail with actually not quite sure what the, the ending is Oh, because I d- yeah i know I, I know. it's one of those where you know like i said you can't find the whole album on spotify which is yeah. how i listen to all my music so i haven't listened to the whole thing through in probably <gasps> oh 10 years oh my god uh, we should get you we should find the cd somewhere or whatever we'll mail it to you as well as a t-shirt canon envelope <laughs> yes. we'll, yeah or if you could just send the music to me on a ucb stick because i no longer have access to a cd player because yeah, it's yeah. 2021 yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's. I'll. I'll just get a TikTok and uh, download it straight to our face for sure. And uh, so, after Children of Eden, which other two um, shows have you got off Broadway? Okay, so the next two are the last five years, mm-hmm. written by Jason Robert Brown. Uh, which, ooh, there's some drama in that one. I can't wait to tell you about. <laughs> Uh, and then, okay, so let's talk about the last five years real quick. Last five years uh, debuted in Chicago in 2001 and then off-Broadway in 2002. It was made into a film in 2014 starring Andy, Anna Kendricks. Now, I have not seen this movie. Yeah. Um, however, I, uh, I think she's great, and I bet she did a very mm-hmm. good job at it. Uh, so if you wanted to watch this one, that's how you'd watch it. Mm-hmm. In the original off-Broadway production, there are only two characters in the whole 
whole thing mm-hmm. and it is um it is about a man and a woman who fell in love and then break up mm-hmm. but the way the story is told is it is told from the man's perspective at the beginning of the story uh at the beginning of the relationship and it's mm-hmm. told from the woman's perspective at the end of the relationship mm-hmm. so by the time you get to the end of the musical she is falling in love with him and he is divorcing her yeah and uh, does that all make sense yeah so they absolutely. kind of so pass in the middle it's kind of like was it 500 days of summer or something like that where like this like kind of this jumping time but also it's, it's kind of like a the male perspective is moving forward on a regular timeline and the female perspective is moving back, but they synchronize across the songs. Is that- yeah, yeah, but they actually only appear in one song together. Okay. Again, it's got some great songs in it, but Jason Robert Brown, who's known for off-Broadway, is quite a divisive scare- character, and I just, I found this on the Wikipedia that I think I need to read to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last five years was actually inspired by his failed man- marriage to <gasps> Teresa O'Neill. Um, <laughs> I think it's a Theresa May then. I was like, whoa, yeah, that's, that's drama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, O'Neill, Teresa, sued Jason Robert Brown on the grounds of the story of the music violating their non-disparagement and non-disclosure agreement of their divorce. Whoa. And so he countersued her saying that because of her interfering with his creative work and creative process he's such a douchebag yeah. but he's like a really good writer <laughs> imagine that as the next musical i'll see you in court i'll get you sued and so yeah i think that, uh, <laughs> that he just has to, his autobiography just told from many uh, of his musicals exactly <laughs> exactly he actually had to change one of the songs uh because it's uh, so closely was related to her that they wow. had to take it out. So, yeah, so he wrote this about his actual divorce. And the way it is in the musical um, is that the man in the musical is a writer, like a novelist, who at, at the very beginning of his career gets a book sold and starts to become famous very quickly. And his girlfriend slash becomes his wife slash they get divorced Mm -hmm. is an actress who they start both meeting at each other in new york when both of them have nothing and they're trying to prove themselves in this big city he becomes a famous novelist her career goes nowhere Mm -hmm. so she's watching her husband become more and more famous as her career just kind of drifts along in nothingness Mm -hmm. you can understand why she sued him like fuck you yeah and how that affects their relationship how how his fame and her lack thereof affect the way they interact with each other Mm -hmm. it's Again, sad, sad stuff. <laughs> yeah, because, like, I'll be honest, a lot of these I don't really, I'm not very familiar with. Uh, all of them are devastating. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I didn't do that on purpose, but I guess the thing is, is people, when they talk about musicals, they always talk about how they're so light and fluffy or they're so unbelievable. And because everyone breaks into song. And for my first argument is, if you don't like a mu- musicals based solely on the fact that they're fantastical, I will not hear you talk about comic books. I will not. <laughs> I feel I feel seen. I feel seen. <laughs> and and secondly, like they deal like you have musicals that are really light and fluffy. And when you talk about like the golden age of musical theater, when you think of like. 
people are always considering musicals like again the sound of music is this light and fluffy musical they almost get killed by nazis in that musical yeah. like was no one watching it yeah. like they <laughs> like in the musical genre they actually deal with really heady stuff in the mm -hmm. musical showboat they deal with racism in the musical carousel which was again written in the 50s the showboat was written in the 30s uh and it deals with racism um and uh the musical carousel is about a man who dies and goes to heaven and then talks to an angel and gets allowed to go back to earth to make right with his wife because he was a physically abusive husband mm -hmm. who's getting a second chance to do right by his his wife and i mean that's like so we're talking about like spousal abuse and like the rise of the third reich and mm -hmm. racism in america and people are like i don't like musicals they're too fluffy i'm like <laughs> what are you watching oh my god yeah i i guess a lot of it is just kind of like what they hear is like you hear like the the music like like uh the din 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 you know it's like oh that sounds quite chirpy it's like well it's only it's only, it, it, you haven't really listened to the music, you know what I mean? And that's uh, mm. that's where great... And um, beyond musical uh, to all music, that's where great music lies, you know? Like, uh, yeah. it's something that seems... I think my, my kind of point of reference is... Uh, uh, I love the song Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen because on, oh, the, yeah. on the outside, it's like, yeah, our glory days, woohoo, yeah, here we go. And it's like a uh, party song. But if you listen to it, it's like it's just like, yeah, we're just talking about how like good our life used to be and now it's just a mess, you know. And like, and, like it feel like people do know the lyrics, but people don't see that. Yeah, you know I mean, it just doesn't yeah. feel like it doesn't necessarily correlate. But I think it's wonderful for that reason. Well, same with uh, talking about Bruce Springsteen. His song Born in the USA is yeah. a Vietnam protest song. Mm -hmm. And famously, I think George Bush, it was either George Bush Sr. or mm -hmm. Ross Perot. Someone of that era wanted to use it as their campaign song. Mm -hmm. And like their aides had to be like, you can't use Born in the USA mm -hmm. as your campaign song. And he's like, no, it'd be a great song. He's like, Born in the USA, yeah, pump up. And they're like, have you listened to it? <laughs> it's very critical of the government. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Specifically, uh, the Republican Party. <laughs> yeah, uh, especially yeah, especially with uh, uh, yeah, of that ilk for sure. But um, I think it's a really awesome point. Um, but yeah, just just to uh, finish off your off Broadway stage. Uh, oh yeah, where, one more. Yeah. This one I think you'll know of. Uh, uh, starting in Broadway uh, in 1982 and then moved to Off-Off-Broadway, I think, the following year. Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. There hello. we go. Yeah, there we, we go. go. We know this one. Yes. And uh, this was um, written by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman. Do you know those names if I say them? No, I don't. Okay, you'll know their work. Again, they come from... They also made a lot of uh, of the great Disney's. So they made Aladdin, Beauty oh, and the really? Beast, uh, The yeah. Little Mermaid. <gasps> These are those guys. Oh, I see. And yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, yeah, it's quite a vivid. Uh, well. Uh, it's a, a different tone from maybe last five years or children yeah. reading, but still quite severe and, <laughs> and quite. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we do talk about spousal abuse in it, so don't worry, kids. It's happy. <laughs> um, it, but again, it's so good. The uh, song, first of all, in the musical 
revival of it that will appear at this musical theater mm -hmm. festival we will have the giant plant yes. puppet you gotta have the giant plant puppet uh audrey and and yeah, the song that the puppet sings get it do you know it? It's uh, so yeah. good. Again, it's been a really long time since I've uh, seen it. Funnily enough, my, my school actually did a production of it when I was in year 13. And I at that point, I was like, I'm so, I don't need to do the school musical, but I wish I did. But I did see it, and it was fantastic. And they, they had to hire the Audrey in because like, that's part of the licensing agreement. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was massive. It was wonderful, though. Yeah, it's so good. And Suddenly Seymour, which is the song sang by Seymour and his love mm -hmm. interest. How am I for Audrey? Oh, duh. It's Audrey because he names the plant Audrey too. Yeah. Um, is such a power ballad. It mm -hmm. is it is just rock to your core. Just a beautiful song and all about coming together and these two awkward people falling in love mm -hmm. and uh and then the plant goes to space. Uh, it gets real weird. It, 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 it does what Rocky Horror Picture Show kind of does to me, which is uh, you, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the ending comes and you're like, I don't know about that ending. but Yeah, very much fun. like Grease. Like, uh, it's all here we go. And now the car's flying. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we need an ending. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so I think Little Shop of Horrors is going to be a treat. And uh, I watched a film version as well, and I really loved it. But I particularly love Steve Martin as uh, the dentist as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a particular... Uh, I love Steve Martin very, very much. And uh, yeah. That's such a good song too. And it was all written with like that 60s Motown vibe mm -hmm. to it. That's why the music is so like boppy and poppy, because it was written as like, what if... Motown had a musical and now they do fun fact but it's just it's just really good music awesome and yeah I think that's um I, I think that's such an awesome musical to have as well so we are doing Cabaret the 1998 re cast revival starring Alan Cumming and mm -hmm. Natasha Richardson we will be doing the Gypsy the musical yes. from 1959 which is the original uh uh, musical starring Ethel Merman, who is the, um, this is why Broadway belting has become a thing. She is the one. Mm -hmm. And then finally, our closing, our last night of uh, the musical. Did I pick Hamilton? No, I didn't, because you all thought I would. So I picked, <laughs> and, and I knew Matt would have some opinions on that one. And I was like, nope, we got to keep it underground is uh, Rent, the 1993 yes. debut. Yes. You know what? I um, love Rent. Rent's fantastic. I love Rent's it. great. Rent's great. I went for Rent. It was going to be either Hamilton or Rent, but I was like, every, like, I feel like everyone would pick Hamilton right now, so I went for Rent. On that final day, you got Cabaret, uh, you got um, was it Gypsy and Rent as well. Um, yeah. In terms of that day, what's the kind of... with The other days kind of feel like they've got different themes to it as well. What do you think that Sunday theme is? Oh, um, I think these are all musicals in their own way, uh, defined the genre. Mm -hmm. Uh, and there were so many different ways to go with this one. Let's just start out with Gypsy in 1959. Um, first of all, Ethel Merman played Mama Rose mm -hmm. and, uh, 
for those of you who have never seen it or don't know what I'm talking about, that song, you'll be swell, you'll be great, have the whole world on a plate, start in here, start in now, honey, everything's coming up, roses, that is from Gypsy. Mm -hmm. And and that is, again, when you hear it out of the context of a musical, it sounds really fun and happy. Mm -hmm. But it is about a mother who is a vicious stage mother who lost her starling daughter who ran off and got married and is trying to convince her second daughter to become a performer who doesn't want to to do it mm -hmm. and she this is the song that ends the first act before intermission and she just basically bulldozes over her child and forces her into theater and then as you would know if you know the musical her second daughter becomes a strip tease artist mm -hmm. and then she becomes very jealous because her daughter becomes very famous and she always wanted to be famous the role of uh, mama rose played by ethel merman in this uh, uh production is what i consider the like hamlet of musicals yes like it is um it's it's such a tricky role. It's vocally incredibly demanding. It is emotionally, you are going all over the place with it. And it and it's only, it's a role that's only been played by the greats. Patti Lapone, yeah. Ethel Merman, uh, what's her name, who you don't know, Bernadette Peters, like... <laughs> It, like that was the most passive aggressive uh, callback I've ever heard in my life. Is that person you don't remember? Is that person you you don't know? Um, and, it, and it was also uh, choreographed by Jerome Robbins, and Jerome Robbins also choreographed West Side Story. Mm -hmm. You know the snapping. Yeah, that's him. So it's big, huge dances, beautiful numbers. It's a it's a comment on parenting and show business. Mm -hmm. It is brilliant. You know what? Like, um, I'm not sure if you could be able to tell, uh, but I actually have a, a big shame at the moment because I my my university degree was um, drama, joint honors with classics, and I feel I'm gonna have to refund the part which was joint honors drama because I don't I don't know anywhere close to near as you here. I'm gonna have to refund it. I might get like 18 grand back, and and I feel so sad. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Well, that being said, if you if if the tables were turned and you were telling me all about like Shakespeare yeah. or Moliere, I, I'd be in your boat where I'd be like, I vaguely know what that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just to wrap up this uh, your your kind of musical selections. What is your what is the one song you think you could recommend from the musical Rent? Oh, La Vie Bohème, uh, which is the song that closes the first act. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, the song that everyone knows because it will, it did play on the radio is mm -hmm. Seasons of Love. That yes. 525,000 minutes. Now, if you look back at Rent, it looks like a period piece because yeah. it was written of its time, about its time. And now mm -hmm. you look at, like, the clothing in it and you're like, oh, my God, who dresses like that? But... Um, it uh, La Vibo M is about just kind of like trying to be an artist in New York while capitalism oppresses you. That's kind of like what the whole musical is about. Like every <laughs> yeah. every twenty years or so, a musical comes along that redefines the genre, or not necessarily redefines the genre, but 
but brings musicals to the people. Well, uh, oh, I wish I had time to talk about Cabaret. All I'll say is I saw Alan Cumming do Cabaret on Broadway and I cried. But <laughs> what I want to talk about Rent is there is every 20 years or so, there's a musical that redefines the genre or brings it to the people. So um, in... In the 50s, when you had Carousel and Hello, Dolly and The mm-hmm. Music Man, uh, in 1959 or 1960, Hair was mm-hmm. written. Yeah. And Hair has got Age of Aquarius. And that was the first time that like people thought that musicals were for old, stuffy people with blue hair. And then Hair came out. And there was mm-hmm. just finally a, so- a, a musical <laughs> that spoke to the youth. And then in the 90s, we had Rent. And Rent was talking about AIDS in New York mm-hmm. and how oppressive it is to be an artist and how difficult life is and it was all set to like a type of music that people listen to that day literally when jonathan larson wrote it he said i want it to be mtv on broadway and that's Mm -hmm. what he did and now in this era you have hamilton which is bringing you hip-hop and speaking uh, mm-hmm. telling like this this beautiful story of America that is a bit uh, whitewashed but n- nonetheless mm-hmm. but it is it, it is again music that speaks to a gen- younger generation so I feel like every 20 years sometimes every 10 years uh, people forget about musicals and they they forget how beautiful they are and how and they start to get that reputation of being stuffy and too fantastical and too twee and too cute and then all of a sudden someone comes out with a, your rent your Hamilton, your hair. And that is why Rent is the final closing one is because it represents the moment that Broadway breaks through to the rest of the world. Wow. And that, I think it's the perfect way to finish off this music festival. Oh my God, there is so much going on here. And my my face is melted off with just the amount of depth and uh, drama and intrigue. Like, I feel people would fill their boots with all of this as well. Um, like, yeah, was it was it easy for you to kind of curate and pull it all together? Yeah, well, you know, uh, like anyone, you sent me the email yesterday, <laughs> so I did it uh, an hour before we got on. Um, of course, yeah. It, it, like, I was thinking about it on my run today, and mm-hmm. it's hard to... There's so many that I didn't do. Like, mm-hmm. so I didn't do... Um, Avenue Q, yeah. Um, Book of Mormon. That was another defining genre. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another one that broke through and reached out to the people. It's hard. It's hard to pick. Pick. You know. And I could have gone real obscure with Off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could have gone musicals, Broadway musicals. Like we didn't do Singing in the Rain. Yeah. That's a big one. You know. It, it was hard to narrow it down, but I think I just followed my heart. Yeah. And I, I was like, what do I want to see? Yeah. And the, this is what I'd like to see. Well, I would pay 500 quid to get this. <laughs> well, Fun <it's> fact, <laughs> I paid, I paid uh, I, when I did see, the last thing I did before I left New York was see um, Alan Cumming in Broadway do Cabaret. When he revived it in 2014, he, he revived that role. I paid... for two tickets to sit in the Kit Kat Club, which was like the front row, because I was like, this will be the last show I ever see on Broadway, and this is my favorite musical of all time. I'm doing it. And it was it was amazing. So actually, 500 quid for a weekend is cheap because 
Because these tickets, when they were on Broadway, impossible to get tickets for. Impossible. Well, I tell you what, the people of Devon are going to be way, (laughs) are going to be very, very happy. Uh, But let's head to the final part of our podcast and deal with some floor fillers. Okay. As with event management, things are bound to go wrong. So here's a couple of hypothetical questions that Abigail and I have to deal with in a manner that she sees fit. Okay. Uh, okay. I really think this is all ne- unnecessary after my huge soliloquy about uh, musicals that break through and reach the people. But fine, we can talk about admin of a festival. It's a fun quick fire round. Deal with <laughs> okay. It. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um... I feel like this is a. I don't. I've just. I've changed this question for you today. And okay. so, which one person do you think would act like the biggest diva towards you? Oh, Barbara Streisand, without a question. <laughs> what kind of things would Barbara Streisand do to you? Uh, she would demand uh, 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 like weird things in her trailer, and nothing like she would. She famously does not remember her lyrics, so we would have to have a teleprompter specifically for her. Yeah, we would have to put a trailer for her and Walter Matthau <laughs> on opposite ends of the festival because they hate each other so yeah. much. And yeah, I think she'd be the biggest diva. Oh, brilliant! She uh, is the biggest diva. She famously. literally is the biggest diva. Um. Oh no, the cast of Cinderella dropped out last minute. Who do you get to replace them? Oh, well, that's why I have four uh, four <laughs> musicals on that stage, and it would be uh, The Music Man Steps In. Who would I have in the music, movie musicals drop in? You know what? It wouldn't be appropriate for a, a, a summer festival, but I really like White Christmas. Yeah. And it's got Bing Crosby in it, Danny Kaye, uh, Rosemary Clooney, and then a, a woman whose name I can't remember, but if you've ever seen the movie, she always wears turtlenecks. Mm-hmm. And fun trivia fact, it's because her bulimia was so severe, her neck, when you force yourself to throw up, your neck starts to age. This is a side effect of eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And her neck was unsightly, and that is why she always wears turtlenecks in that movie. I see. Again, uh, a lot of information here, which uh, it's going to be an absolute uh, a treasure trove for many people. And uh, and let's let's do a couple more questions. Um, oh dear! Um, one of your actors have forgotten all their equipment, but good news—they can do an a cappella set. Which musical, if you had to choose, would you make do an a cappella set? Oh god, I'm trying to think of one. Like, it can't be Music Man because it's literally about a guy who's creating a marching band. So you have to. God, none of these would work. <laughs> um, I'm going to go. Part of me is like Children of Eden because fuck it. No one cares about that one but me anyways. So if we're going to throw one to the wolves, it's going to be Children of Eden. Sorry, Stephen Schwartz. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah you, we'll Steven. do Children of Eden because that's the one that everyone's going to go. What's that? <laughs> um, okay. So kind of mentioned it earlier, but your festival loves you and they want you to sing one song at the festival. If you had to pick one song out of every single one of these musical songs, which one would you pick to go out on stage with? Okay. So, 
Oh, again, because we've got the, the, the these are roles I want to play. Um, I think I would do, I would be brave and pick the hardest song in this lineup. <laughs> and I would tell Ethel Merman, get backstage. It's time for Abigailia to play Mama Rose. <laughs> and I would do Rose's turn from Gypsy. Nice. Which is basically when Mama Rose has like a nervous breakdown. It's <laughs> it's amazing and that is the end of floor fills and that is the end of this podcast uh, thank you so much for joining us have you had a nice time today Abigailia? i have had a great time and i am very curious to see how you edit this down <laughs> into an hour it's actually a uh, it, this recording has taken seven hours and um, but it's going to be <laughs> reduced down uh, very very shortly but um but yeah th- seriously it's been an absolute joy to have you here uh, where can people find you online and would you like to plug anything so I am on all social medias, including the TikToks. I've joined the TikToks, and uh, I really like it there. So if you're on the TikToks, please follow me. Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at Abigailia. And I have a cooking show on YouTube called Just Like Mom Made, where I make food from my Midwestern childhood. That And most of it I've never made before, so everything always goes tits up. But the last episode I actually made with my mom. It was a, a special. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah, we made a blueberry cream pie together. So, yeah, so if you like cooking shows, but you want to see someone who doesn't actually know how to cook make really difficult things, tune in to Just Like Mom Made. Fantastic stuff. And uh, thank you, listener, uh, for uh, listening to Castable today. Uh, if you do enjoy the episode, please give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Each one does make a difference, so please do that. And uh, please make sure to follow us at Castable Podcast on Twitter and email us at castablepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I've been Matt Hoss, and please give a massive thank you to my wonderful guest. It's Abigail Shaman. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Matt. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun.